Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, good morning. That was wonderful worship and just lovely to see all the different expressions of worship this morning. Well, let me tell you a story. Once there was a man, a Jewish man, who stood in Jerusalem and claimed to be the Messiah. Some people at the time linked him with messianic prophecies in the Bible in numbers about a star coming out of Jacob. Miracles were attributed to him. He stood and claimed that the kingdom of God was at hand. Does this sound familiar? Do you maybe know who I'm talking about? Or think you know who I'm talking about? His rebellion was about three years long. He minted coins in his name. He fought brutally and violently against the Roman Empire, had early success, and then was crushed, killed. All his followers were killed as well. His name was Simon bar Kokoba, and his kingdom of God dissolved away. Did you know that biblical scholars estimate that there were around 14 different so-called messiahs in the couple hundred years before and after Jesus, ones who, who claimed they were the long-awaited Messiah, ones who had miracles attributed to them, gathered followers to their cause, then all of them fought against the Roman Empire and were killed. And all of these movements, you know, either tried to find a, a new leader, you know, the first one, oops, maybe, maybe he wasn't the Messiah, but this next one definitely is. Or they just kind of faded because all of their hopes kind of went away when their leader, the Messiah, was killed. Jesus also claimed to be the Messiah. Miracles were attributed to him. He was considered an enemy of the state, and he also was killed. However, the difference between Jesus and all these other so-called messiahs were claims of the resurrection, and also the nonviolence aspect. But what was unique was that his followers didn't try to you know, find a new one, maybe pick his brother James and say, oh, no, this, this guy's really the Messiah. Nor did it just kind of fade away. His followers claimed he rose from the dead. And more than that, they claimed that one day all of his followers would be resurrected in the same way. This resurrection of Jesus is bedrock and foundational to believing in the way of Jesus. And not only that, the reality of Jesus' resurrection and the implications for our own resurrection are significant for right now. 
And so this leads us to 1 Corinthians 15. Last week, Pastor Greg kind of uh, talked how this was the culminating chapter, and, and I had a brief moment of, oh, he's building this up, and so I better, you know, perform. But then I realized performance never gets us anywhere, so I will just be faithful to what I feel God has led us to. But it is, it is the culminating chapter. This chapter 15, where Paul goes into the resurrection, is foundational not only to 1 Corinthians, but also to our faith. And he starts this chapter by laying out the basic truth of the good news. Let's read it together, verse, starting in verse 3. I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. So, most important, the most foundational truth, died, buried, raised again from the dead, and a bunch of people saw him afterwards, in accordance with Scripture. This is the good news of Jesus. But why did Paul start this chapter off just kind of laying out the basics, the things that he has said, I've already told you guys this. Why, why is he telling us this? Well, if we understand the resurrection correctly, then actually the whole rest of Corinthians can be seen in a new light. In chapter 6, when he's talking about sexual immorality and the impact on the body, it matters if our bodies are somehow raised to new life. In chapter 11, when Paul is talking about the communion and how we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus until he comes again, is seen in a new light when we understand what the resurrection means. And in chapter 13, when it talks about how love is the thing to last in the new world, it's put into a different light if we understand what the resurrection means. But yet again, as we've seen time after time after time, the Corinthians were getting a little off base about these foundational truths. They weren't seeing the resurrection correctly. And Paul, at this, at this point, we understand that this is the problem. A lot of times, you know, in previous chapters in Corinthians, we just maybe don't quite know what the problem Paul is addressing. We can guess. But this one is very clear. Verse 12. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? So that's the problem. Apparently, at some point, the Corinthians started saying there will be no resurrection of the dead. And actually, when I, often when I read this in the past, I kind of just took resurrection and translated it in my mind to mean life after death, heaven. That's actually not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about a bodily resurrection one day, an embodied life with new bodies. 
And then Paul goes on to this beautiful logical argument to show that if the Corinthians don't believe in a bodily resurrection one day for us, then they can't actually believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And then, what are they doing? In verse, it starts in verse 13. For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the dead, from the grave, sorry. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's been no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are all still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. N.T. Wright says, It's only the resurrection that makes crucifixion appear anything other than a horrible end of another failed Messiah. It's the resurrection. And what was happening is the Corinthians were once again taking on cultural thought about the resurrection. And scholars are kind of divided here if, if the pagan thought at the time was that there was no resurrection, there was nothing, you just died and it was over, or if it was the idea of that it, there was an immortality of the soul, but not the body. Either way, both of those are incorrect. And what was happening is, is Corinthians, as they were taking on the cultural beliefs of the resurrection, ended up distorting and denying the central belief, the bedrock foundation of the resurrection of Jesus. And in this distortion, the reality of the resurrection was garbled, put off, trivialized, when the truth and the reality of the resurrection mattered, and matters now, and is for right now. The first way that the reality of the resurrection matters for right now is that it sustains hope right now. And this isn't just a a hope solely in Jesus in the present, that he is with us, that he will help us, though that is true, but it's hope for the future. In verse 19, Paul says, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Well, why? Why would they be pitied? Well, at the time, they were facing persecution. They were facing suffering. They were facing, um, yeah, oppression. And Paul is saying, if the resurrection, if a bodily resurrection happens, why are we doing this? We could just be having a grand old life here, now, And this hope of a bodily resurrection still matters to Christians around the world who are oppressed, disenfranchised, persecuted, that this world is not the be-all, end-all. And I think sometimes in our um, Western culture, we can kind of get caught up in the now, a little bit of the cushy, that we don't need to think about the resurrection because, you know, now we have it pretty good. And Jesus can be here with us now and make our lives better, which is true, 
but in a way that we kind of disassociate from what will happen in the resurrection, that we focus solely on the present, but it's different. When we have a realization that the future hope of a bodily resurrection brings hope to us now, it changes us. And Jesus has made a promise. Verse 24, after that, the end will come, and he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. That future hope allows us endurance in the present. That one day, all the wrongs, all the principalities and powers will be destroyed. All the systems tainted and developed in sin will be torn down. We who are in Jesus will experience life and body in full wholeness. We will be whole. In the resurrection, all of the struggles, disconnections, effects of trauma, sins against you, sins you've done to others, will be washed away. And we will be fully who Jesus has made us to be. This whole chapter about the resurrection is hopeful that God will complete the project. He will reverse and undo human rebellion. And especially death. Verse 54. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And time and time again, we see Paul talk about this, about what the suffering and the pain and the brokenness and all the things that we see broken right now will one day be restored. And we can have hope in that. Romans 8 talks about this. Verse 18. Yet what we suffer now, and he's talking to Christians that we're suffering that we're being persecuted, killed, tortured for their faith. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. And a little bit later on in that chapter, 23. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. This reality of the resurrection sustains hope for right now. But sometimes we can kind of get overly concerned with the future bodily resurrection. And it is. It's hope for right now. But what happens is we can detach the future from the present. That we can be all about the resurrection one day. All about Jesus coming back and reigning one day. But in a way that we kind of excuse ourselves from action. 
from reality, from how we live right now. But the reality of our one-day resurrection fuels holy living for right now. And it has ethical implications for right now. And Paul, again, addresses this in verse 32. And what value was there in fighting wild beasts, those people of Ephesus, if there is no resurrection from the dead? And if there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Think carefully about what is right. Stop sinning. To your shame, I say that some of you don't know God at all. If we don't believe in the resurrection of our bodies one day, then how we live in this life has really little consequence. However, if we believe what 1 Corinthians says and throughout the whole Bible that, he is, that God is going to transform all things, then what we do with our time and body matters. Our lives have purpose. How we love, how we care, how we treat people, how we treat our bodies, how we treat the earth is more significant than face value. There are eternal implications. Last year, uh, my son Baron started hockey, and I had kind of really strongly discouraged him for quite a few years beforehand because I didn't want to do it. <laughs> but he, he really wanted to, and I said yes. But I went with a pretty bad attitude. I didn't want to do it. It seemed like a lot of time commitment. Um, some aspects of the hockey culture are a little disturbing. And I just didn't want to. It felt like a waste of time when I could be doing something so much better. I didn't, you know, go past that and figure out what better would have been, but I just didn't want to be there. And I didn't want to be around the people, and I was just grumpy. And Jesus, in his kindness, and a little bit of um, correction, just was like, what are you doing? Everything we do, everything you do, Amy, is significant. You may just see it as taking your kid to hockey, chatting, drinking some coffee, cheering, whatever. But Jesus was like, wherever you show up, you have an opportunity to either carry the presence of Jesus or stifle it. Which one are you going to pick? And it was like, oh, man, you know, in my head I had somehow made, you know, certain actions, certain things like worthy of my time. And other things kind of would take away because I couldn't, they didn't seem significant. But Jesus reminded me, no, no, no how we show up every day, how we show up to our kids, how we show up to the cashier at the grocery store, how we show up to our family members, how we show up when we're driving, actually matters. Not only to share the, the love of Jesus with others, but it actually matters for us personally. In verses 35 to 50, I won't read all of them, but Paul is talking about what, are, what our new bodies will look like. But what 
is clear because he talks about, you know, no, we're not going to have the same bodies, but, you know, like a seed that dies and then grows into a plant. And, you know, he at least connects that there's some kind of continuity. We don't know exactly what, but some continuity between who we are and what we do on earth and who and what will be resurrected. And so it matters. What we do now has eternal implications not only for those around us, but us personally. And I just need to acknowledge uh, the tension of actions. Whenever we start talking about holy living and, and our actions matter, you know, there can be some tension for people. Us humans love the pendulum swings, don't we? And so sometimes we can get so caught up in, in actions, that our actions need to be right and, and that we're so focused on striving and performance that we miss that it's about the heart of Jesus and our heart impacting that. But then what we can do is we can swing way to the other side and say, you know, our actions don't matter. It's all about our hearts. And this, this is okay. Both of these pendulum swings are not the way of Jesus. Tim Keller, I was listening to a podcast, and he talked about something that really um, put the kind of action, performance, striving in a new light for me. He said, if we do things in this life out of fear of punishment, of punishment, or to try and earn our salvation, or earn grace, or, you know, make sure we establish our position, we're actually only serving ourselves, that our actions are actually rooted in in self-service. And also, if our only incentive to live differently is rooted in fear and anxiety about the future, what will this resurrection look like? And I need to make sure that I'm good enough, then we're living in self-protection. However, we can live out of love and gratitude, knowing that salvation, redemption, and resurrection is a sure and certain thing for those of us who have called on the name of Jesus and said, I want you, a part of my life. Teach me how to walk in a new way. So we can, we can care about our actions, care about living holy without fear or trying to earn But knowing what Paul says in verse 58b. That we are to always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Our actions are not useless. In light of the resurrection of Jesus' resurrection and one day our own. But how? How do we live holy lives? It can't just be try harder. That doesn't really sound like Jesus, does it? Well, in Romans 6, we get a glimpse of what the answer is. Romans 6, 4 and 5. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. Did you catch that? 
Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. The power that raised Christ from the dead. We have power to live new lives in that. And so the reality of Jesus' resurrection provides power for right now. Sometimes this can uh, be a little missed. We overemphasize the cross. And let me make sure it's clear. What Jesus did on the cross was amazing. And a mystery. We don't actually know all he did on the cross. And that is significant. But sometimes we focus so much on his death that we forget about the resurrection. And like I said before, like when I quoted that N.T. Wright, if all he did was died on the cross, he would be another failed Messiah. But it's in his resurrection that there is power. And it gives power and authority to Jesus right now. And Paul, again, brings this up. In uh, verse 17, and so I, I picked, this one is out of the First Nations translation, but says, if this were true, as in if there was no resurrection, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, your faith would have no meaning, and your broken ways would still rule over you. But Because of Jesus' resurrection, we are not helpless to the powers of this world that seek to steal, kill, and destroy, as it says in John. And all throughout the epistles, we see the same message again and again and again. We died with Christ and were raised to new life, and therefore our sinful nature is broken. We have Jesus who through his resurrection has victory, and therefore we have victory over sin. Verse 57 says this, But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus. The reality of Christ's resurrection allows for us to not be slaves, as it talks about in in Romans, to our sin anymore, but we have power to live in a new way. And not only that, Christ's resurrection allows for the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, to be working in us. For He is alive, powerful, and speaking. Did you know that Jesus is actually convinced we can do what He's invited us to do? He's actually convinced of that. Some days I'm not so sure. But why? Why is he convinced? Well, Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Why is Jesus convinced? Because he's with us. And he knows he's already made a way for us to be saved, healed, and delivered by his death and resurrection. 
We, because of Jesus' resurrection, has the Holy, we have the Holy Spirit who empowers us to know and make known the love, presence, and power of Jesus. The reality of Jesus' resurrection provides power right now. So some questions to consider. What are your beliefs about the resurrection? In your mind, have you adopted maybe some of the, the culture of, um, oh, it's only our souls. Our bodies just kind of, there's no, no continuity of the body. It's just a soul thing. Do your beliefs about Jesus' resurrection and our one-day resurrection, do they line up with 1 Corinthians 15? How does the resurrection of Jesus and one day us affect your current reality? If at all. In conclusion, the reality of Jesus' resurrection and consequently our one day bodily resurrection is for right now. It's not a theological concept that has no impact on our day-to-day life. It is the bedrock in our faith in Jesus and his transforming power. It sustains our hope. It fuels our holy living, and it provides power for us right now. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your death and resurrection. That you have made a way for us to be saved, healed, and delivered. And that you have made a way for our sinful natures to be broken, for us to experience intimacy and union with you, Jesus. We thank you for that. Would you help us to live in light of your resurrection? In your name, Jesus, amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask you right now that those on site and online who need your hope, would you just release that now in the name of Jesus? For those of us that need uh, correction in our living, in the ways that we have not been aligning ourselves with you, would you bring awareness to those areas right now? And for those of us who need your power, power to live differently, that our sinful natures do not rule over us anymore, that we need to experience your power, Jesus, I ask right now that you would come with your power. As we leave this place, may we walk in light of the resurrection the bedrock of our faith that Jesus died for us and was raised to new life and we will one day be raised to new life as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.